Greetings program, hello and welcome to Tronologically Speaking, a movie by minute podcast talking about Disney's 1982 movie Tron. This is Minute 93. I'm your host Duncan Shields and returning with me today is my endearing, magnanimous and quite frankly brilliant guest co-host John Burton. Welcome John. Hello everyone, greetings programs. Thank you so much for coming back for another minute of uh, scintillating credits well i gotta see how it ends man they gotta see how it ends this is the big finish i'm waiting for this matthew is... broderick to walk out and go why are you still here what are you doing the what movie's are you still over doing here go home programs <laughs> what are you end. still doing here programs end of line end go of home. line he said it already go <laughs> <laughs> I get more credits happening here so we finish off uh david warner and then here we come cindy morgan she did a great job in this film as Dr. Laura Baines and uh, uh, Yori. Uh, she was an Irish spring girl for a while. <laughs> hence the hair. Uh, hence the it hair. Yeah, yeah. It all makes sense now. Starring in heavily dubbed uh, soap commercials, or at least it, it felt dubbed to me. Because they brought, I think they brought someone in to do the um, Irish accent. She's like, uh, and we like it too. When you see when you see the uh, the commercial, you're like, that's not Cindy Morgan's voice. <laughs> that's not you. That's not even close. Yeah. So, but who knows? Who knows? Yeah. Maybe it was her. Uh, the production quality on those '80s commercials is so potato. You're like, I don't know. <laughs> this could be real. I'm not sure. Maybe that is her voice. Yeah. But she's also like a huge supporter of the film. She heads to all the cons cool. with Bruce Boxleitner saying that there should be more Tron. She seems like a real quality, upstanding person. Like she comes from, her father was uh, an audio engineer. Mm. And so she was going to do a, a career in that before she became a model and then um, got into acting. And then she did Caddyshack and then uh, she did this, and a few other things, a bunch of other stuff. But mm. yeah, seems like a really cool person. Uh, then we get Bernard Hughes, uh, Bernard all the damn vampires and uh <laughs> we don't have the balls for that hughes from uh, sister act and uh the lost boys long yeah. long amazing acting career it's funny everybody in the behind the scenes interviews refers to him as barney mm -hmm. like, oh yeah barney was great and i'm like barney barney <laughs> i can't i can't think of responding to this guy as a barney he seems so classy i just want to call him bernard or yeah you know, like so, but yeah, you, you get a lot of that with with the you know people that I know who've worked in film and stuff. That that there's the the name the name that you see on the marquee. You know, there's yeah. the, the name that's in the credits. There's the 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 name for their title. That the, the this is them being famous, and then there's the guy sitting at the bench in the the lunch tent. That yeah. everybody calls him that name, and and sometimes they'll flip back and forth when telling a story about something that happened, and, and you're like, wait, who? And then they'll you know, yeah. get the full name, and you're like, "Oh, that guy's famous!" <laughs> yeah, you get the the full three name version of, of yeah, who yeah. they're talking about, but they've been calling them Barney. <laughs> yeah, for sure. When you're like, "Yeah, Charlie was ten minutes late." Yeah. Uh, who's Charlie? <laughs> oh, sorry, Prince Charles. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, uh, oh my oh, God! Oh, yes. Oh. oh, sorry. Okay, right. <laughs> yeah. and, and suddenly there's this extra, you know, uh, layer of gold over top of what they've just been saying for the last five <laughs> yeah. minutes. You're like, "Oh, oh, wow." cool <laughs> yeah 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 it yeah. wasn't some rando oh my gosh <laughs> yeah so he, but he passed away in 2006 but but he mm. got most of his most notable roles after middle age which has to be a trip for any actor yeah for sure you know like you bang away at this career trying to strike anything day after day for like 40 long years but then you find your stride in your 50s or whatever and you're it's like, probably right around the time he thought what? i guess this just isn't in, in the cards for me you know, I'll, I, yeah. I'll end up playing somebody's dad once in a while, I guess, maybe, you know. Yeah. And then suddenly, give me that guy. 
that guy with the thing with the beard. Give me that guy again. <laughs> we want him in the next yeah. movie. You know, like just keep bringing him back. Well, we we want like a character that's got X, Y, and Z. You know, give me that guy again. You know, like, it's like, well, it's like they're talking right now. There is talk of casting the the live action She Hulk television show for Disney Plus, mm-hmm. and they're like, we really want like an Allison Brie type. <laughs> it's like does anybody ask Allison Brie. <laughs> yeah, Allison Brie's like. Uh, I'm I'm, I'm available. Yeah, I'm a, I'm I'm an Allison Brie type, but I'm like, why are you stating it like that? Like, why are you stating type? We really want this type of totally available actor. Yeah, yeah you know, exactly. Like, Something like that. Call them. You know, like I don't <laughs> if I ask. You know, yeah. or like I think about like uh, the guy. I just saw a little a small little documentary on Ernest P. Worrell. Mm. You know what I mean, Vern guy. Yeah, uh, yeah. He wanted to be a serious actor, and so he went out and did a lot of acting. Yeah, and it didn't take, so he moved back home to be a laborer. Uh-huh. And he did some stand-up, and then he he moved back to his small town. And somebody had seen him do some of his stand-up, and was like, "Hey, we could use you for this local, <laughs> yeah. local stuff." And so he started doing that. But it was always like in his head, he was always like, "I'm doing Vern, uh, <laughs> or I'm doing Ernest in a in a springboard." I'm using him right. as a springboard to, to have my, a real Get my name career. out there, yeah, so I can do something you know, serious. But yeah. like 800 commercials and nine films later, you know, it's like, okay, <laughs> maybe maybe this is just... This is what I can get. Or yeah. like, you know, Alec Guinness being, like, rip, hating being famous for becoming Obi-Wan and like, or yeah. like all the, all the problems that Leonard Nimoy had with being identified as Spock. Like, yeah. Some people really lean into it and go yeah. like, oh boy. Yeah. Oh, fantastic! I got my name out there. It's working. I'm, I'm, I can I'm do working. This. I'm making you know, money. Fantastic! It's like, oh yeah, but you might have to get typecast as this and do this for the next fifteen years. It's like, yeah, great. Sounds good. <laughs> yep. Yes, please. <laughs> Sounds good to me. And I, I just sort of, uh, I sort of feel that with like, if you've been, if you've had, if you've been doing it for a while, like, because mm. like Bernard Hughes says that he, there's so many black box theater basements in New York, and he says that he performed in all of them. <laughs> right like yeah he sounds like a guy that was really grateful for the success yeah. and that's i think that's one upside to getting famous later is you can probably get your head around it and see it for what it is and know it for its ephemeral nature yeah because enjoy it part in the of, moment instead of thinking okay now my next project's going to be even bigger yeah you know? and uh, yeah enjoy it in the moment and realize that you save some of your money yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> you know don't, like don't buy that porsche just yet not just yet like <laughs> not that's yet. Yeah. Part of the problem with fame is people get ten million dollars and they buy a nine million dollar house, mm-hmm. and you're like, "Well, yeah, what if what if this is it though?" Yeah, <laughs> you know, <laughs> exactly. So, yeah. so yeah, he seems like a really class act, and mm-hmm. I liked his I liked his um, his presence in this film is really good, especially that conversation in the beginning between him and David Warner mm-hmm. when he, that's it's like you said it's that uh, Wozniak mm-hmm. uh, Jobs conversation, or it's almost like God and the Devil, like this. Yeah, there's like. That's not what we were building. That's not what we wanted. You know, yeah. You've, you've oh. made it something gross. What did you yeah. do? You're ruining it all. You know? Yeah, you're ruining it. And we had like, this well, dream for this wonderful thing that could happen. And it's like, well, if you'd been more involved, mm-hmm. maybe yeah. we could have co-run this thing, but you're out. Yeah. You know, like. Yeah. That's kind of cool. And be able Although, to, as, to, be able to convey we're that in such it, a short yeah. scene. I mean, like, yeah. the, you know, because the, because there's not a lot of exposition on that side. I mean, you know, it's I, I think you're almost half an hour in before you're in, into the grid. You know, it's, yeah, it's, it's it's quite a while, sort of setting up what's coming. Almost exactly a half hour when yeah. uh, when Flynn gets put in. But there's a lot of small conversations that make way more sense later. 
that I know at 12 I was missing. That I was just like, what are sure. they arguing about? What's the sure. problem? These guys they are don't like over... each other. Yeah, he must yeah. be the bad guy. <laughs> you know, that that rewatch. You know, you, you have that those moments of like, eh, okay, yeah, here we go. Yeah. That that is what that was. These people are the people <laughs> that we see later. Yeah. So we get some uh, co-starring credits here. We got Dan. Can I have some of your popcorn? Shore. <laughs> we've got uh, Peter. Who does he calculate he is? Jurassic. <laughs> and we've got uh, Tony Null Unit Stefano, who was also the playmate for Foxy Lady in 1978, <laughs> or something like that. This guy, this guy Stefano. He's he's been he's one of those cool guys to look up because he was in a, a he had a pretty brief but big critically acclaimed career in the uk before this yeah he's in a whole bunch of stuff and this was his his u.s breakout maybe no he did like he did like two well he he didn't do a whole bunch of stuff but he did a couple that were like big deals Mm. and then he came here and this was i think maybe a step ladder to his breakout vehicles kind of thing but then nothing happened and this is one of those weird things where the filming really doesn't do him justice like he is a striking handsome man yeah yeah but and, and there's so much of that that in black and white didn't it didn't translate doesn't or, come or, across. You know, oh, this guy's amazing and and such a performance and so expressive and it's like yeah, but not when he's playing a program with a hockey helmet on. Yeah, <laughs> it's really in, hard to get it across <laughs> in black and white. As yeah, a, as a servile program in yeah. a room that he's like, well, I'm sure I'm in a black room, not knowing what the heck I'm talking about. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. he didn't do much after this, but uh, pretty yeah. pretty interesting guy. And then uh, yeah, Peter Jurassic, of course, mm-hmm. went on to do lots of lots of stuff with bruce boxleitner in babylon 5 and many 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 others and then dan shore he was billy the kid in uh in bill and ted's excellent adventure and yeah yeah it's done all sorts of interesting stuff great guys great crew great secondary crew here yeah i'd really like to know what peter's uh sorry what tony stefano's experience of fame was (laughs) like i'd like to talk to him and say like so what was that ride like yeah you know, yeah, how does that you, work? <laughs> you blew up in the UK. Yeah. And then you came to the States and you were in like Tron, which was a pretty big deal. Yeah. And uh, did you like it? Did you hate it? Did you step away from it? I, I you know, like it's one of, I'm always really curious when somebody's got a brief, brilliant career. Mm-hmm. What, what, like, what happened there? How happened, did that feel? Yeah. What was that like from the inside? Could you tell? Like, uh, did who you see was, any uh, of it? the girl who did, the woman who did uh, It's Oh So Quiet, the original. It's oh so quiet. Betty Hutton. Okay. If you look up Betty Hutton, she was this 1950s uh, comedian who was fantastic. So much energy. So incredible. Just a wonderful, wonderful presence. And just out there. Just wild. And uh, so talented. Highly recommend you look her up. Betty Hutton. Bunch of videos on YouTube. Cool. Uh, And she did the original It's Oh So Quiet. Uh, lots of sound effects with her mouth, lots of slapstick, you know. She's the, I can do anything better oh, okay. than you. Yes, I, I, I can. I, oh, you can. I think I might recognize this. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. that's her. But, uh, yeah, one day she was like, bye. Wow. And uh, I think she passed away like three years ago, and she'd been like a volunteer in a soup kitchen for yeah. like uh, 20 years or something like that. Like she just, wow. she was she was like the poster child for MGM or whatever. Yeah. And then was just like, by and I would just love to yeah it it had it had the feeling of something bad really happened yeah exactly there was some there was a turn something there happened was a, there a turn where some she was switch like, went off and that was I it am, 
out and yeah. uh it was like was it burnout was it an incident yeah some um, black was, blacklisting somewhere was it just not for you yeah like so yeah. i don't wow so i'm always curious about people who have like brief careers like mm-hmm. it was because what was it there was somebody else that was talking some other actress that was like being interviewed and she was like they were like yeah so you know why did you decide to quit acting and she was like i'm sorry what yeah, i didn't <laughs> yeah like yeah. do you have a role that wasn't like my the, idea <laughs> the phone hasn't been ringing for <laughs> yeah, a while exactly. um, yeah. i don't remember quitting though so <laughs> yeah you know what's sure. the what's the what's what are other people's experiences of it so yeah. and then we get the music music by credit for wendy carlos which is amazing the Wendy Carlos. Now we've gone into her career a lot during this podcast, but she is a legend, like at the forefront of synthesizers and music, helping to develop the technology as well as the sound. Like she helped create the Moog, you know, mm-hmm. like didn't just compose for it. And she she won a Grammy very early on for her 1968 Switched On Bach album, doing the soundtrack for Clockwork Orange in 1971 oh, and The Shining on in Bach. 1980. Yeah, yeah before that... doing uh, Tron in 82. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just remember that it's like the first time I realized wait a minute you could just put one big beat on all this classical music and it becomes danceable <laughs> yeah <laughs> I didn't it didn't occur to me you could do that <laughs> and all it the DJs also, obvi- like, obviously heard that too <laughs> like oh yeah that's easy <laughs> let's do that remix <laughs> exactly and also it was like she could be like that she was able to please Stanley Kubrick in his heyday yeah. Which is, you know, by all no accounts, small no, feet. <laughs> no easy tack. Like, not yeah. once, but twice. Yeah. You know, was Stanley Kubrick like, hey, we need to get her back for yeah. The Shining? You know, I was like, really? Great. Great. That's a sign of something. Yeah. You know, and well, she. And, and yeah. also, the, the music and, and the musical cues, like you were talking in a, in a previous episode about how, how much of it is discordant, how much of the sound is like these odd it's that, tones it's and that overtones one chord. and weird hums and stuff that are not. It's. it's I'm sure on sheet music, it's very plain as to what's yeah. going on, but because it's being, you know, done on a, on a Moog with, with all sorts of weird other things happening, it's, uh, the idea that it doesn't have to be a song, it doesn't have to be a piece of music, but it's not, it's also not just, uh, somebody in the orchestra pulling out a violin and playing this one little piece or, you know, a child yeah. with this one sort of drone behind it. She was able to create, uh, that sort of the ominous presence of some kind of humming something or other that didn't sound like anything mm-hmm. from the real world. Um, and, yeah. and, and that was, uh, that was all new. That stuff was all brand new and people were all still brand new. trying to figure out, well, how do I make this, how do I make this big piece of hardware sound exactly like an oboe? And they were like, you know, mm-hmm. th- then there was the other side of the equation of people out there that were saying, how do we make this gigantic, uh, you know, thing that is, was built to emulate an oboe do something else. <laughs> you know like yeah. what if i what if i turn the dial the other way what do we get instead yeah and how yeah. far away is that and and do i like that i'm not even sure i like it but it's it's different yeah. it's new we invented something <laughs> write this yeah. down you know here yeah. when, I, when i plug this into that we get this sound <laughs> it's like what yeah. is going on i don't think you're supposed to do that with that it's like yeah but listen to it for a minute <laughs> yeah with the guy who did the the sound effects there, Frank Seraphine and uh, Minkler. Minkler was doing all these different things for like the de-resing sound effect, mm-hmm. where he was just like bonking the mic and saying <laughs> weird noises into it, and like <laughs> then putting a whole bunch of feedback through it, and then like warping the heck out of it all until he had something just really experimental. Mm-hmm. 
experimental yeah. stuff. That, and breaking all the rules about what you're supposed to be doing for audio. It's like, well, no, yeah. don't do that. That sounds wrong. It's wrong for what? Yeah, or and I like that. What, compared to what? It doesn't sound it's like anything so, from the real world. It's not supposed to. It's not supposed to. It's this not isn't from the, the real world. world. It yeah. works so well for this movie. It was just so beautiful, such a beautiful... It really suits this film that like, especially that da 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 that yeah. weird discordant. And then it goes da 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 da. And it kind of, there's this discordant stuff going on that, that then resolves. I just love the theme to this film. I love all of it. It's so yeah. good. And the, the, um, you know, like we talked about a little bit with some of the, uh, uh, you know, some of the other composers of the time that were doing electronic keyboard music, and, mm. you know, those sorts of things that, that there was so much of the repetition in there because, yeah. uh, you know, the looping and, and, you know, having these arpeggios and stuff and then, and then breaking out of them to mm. throw you off. Right. Yeah. That, that this is not classical music. This is not uh, relaxing. This is tension creating uh, yeah. intentionally. And we're, we're trying to throw you and the timing is odd. You know, it's not on, it's not on four, four timing because we're, we're freaking you out. You know, we're, yeah. we're coming in a beat early because you were surprised by this thing that happened. And uh, yeah. all of that stuff was not, would not have been easy to, to do or explain for, for uh, an orchestra because yeah. it, it goes against what you're supposed to be doing. But you know the the performance and the and the composing that she's doing uh, really adds to uh, that. Here is a very structured, very rule based, uh, you know, the the top down kind of universe, and yet here's this music that is somebody breaking something, somebody mm-hmm. somebody doing other than what they are supposed to be doing. So it, it, and that's kind of like you know, mirrored in, in her, in her, in her life as well. Right. Because she went through gender reassignment surgery. Wow. Yeah. Uh, like she was, she was, and she did it in 1972. I was going to say, and, and, and not in the two thousands. And I can't even imagine what that process was like back no. in the seventies. No. And she went, she went public with it in a series of interviews in Playboy magazine in 1978. Wow. Yeah. Uh, Cause she figured, well, Playboy's the place to do it. Because yeah. they were doing a lot of like Playboy was that one where you actually could read it for the articles. Yeah, exactly. There were articles. Yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> and, and they were they were groundbreaking too. Like they, you know, that that probably worked because they were, uh, you know, they were writing about things that you couldn't write about in mainstream press. Sure. Yeah. Right? And, exactly. And, and it 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 was one of those. It was always kind of the joke. You know, I just read it for the articles. But at the same time, they they were uh, they were they were able to write things because the advertisers they had were already like, no, no. Yeah. Don't worry about grumpy letters from people who don't like the product. That's why we're selling through you. Yeah. Yeah. We want to advertise to the people who are not going to be upset by, or in fact want to upset the people who are going to send letters. (laughs) Yeah. And they can like, they can sort of, publish serialized Stephen King fiction uh, fiction or something like stuff with more adult themes. Yeah, for sure. And swearing you know. in it and without yeah. worrying about, you know, I can't believe you guys are selling this. And yeah. and so for her to be able to, to tell her story, sort of here's, here's what happens and, and here's who I am and here's what's going on that people are just going to be like, wow, that's insane. That's super crazy. I've never even heard of that. And that's then, super interesting. Yeah. That's really, really different. Yeah. Instead of this is horrible and why would anybody do that? And, Very uh, like not uh, real, you know. Instead, it's just here's something else happening in the world, <laughs> you know that that yeah. is a real thing that exists. And people Very complex. Go, wow. Complex. Uh, complex publication. Yeah, for sure. 
Well, good for know. her for, uh, you know, for, for being able to do that. And also that the, the industry, you know, didn't, um, sadly with so many people, you know, if you, if you, uh, come yeah. forward as being nonconformist in some way, just saying, nope, goodbye. <laughs> That's it. You're, this is too weird. Whereas, yeah. um, you know, in, in a lot of arts and creative sciences, uh, you know, they're like, yeah, okay, well, uh, whatever. You made some music for us though. <laughs> yeah. It's like, right. Uh huh. And how's the music going? It's like, oh, yeah. you want to talk about the music? Yes. <laughs> That's what we're here for. It's, it's like, like okay, when, great. uh, like in Twin Peaks, when um, Kyle MacLachlan says, "Like, oh, one of the best investigators I've ever worked with is coming up soon. You'll love him." And uh, Upwucks, uh, oh, who is Fox Mulder? Who's that guy? Uh, David Duchovny. Up Upwucks, David Duchovny, yeah. up, up uh, as a woman. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And it's like uh, you know, you know, it's like you know, uh, you know, Jenny. This is this is uh, this is David. And David, like, oh, I, I go by. Uh, Angela now and he's like oh okay sure okay. Uh, David this is Angela there we and go he's like, Done. Uh, and he's like well have you been Angela and Angela's like oh I've got a, a lot of stories to tell you he's like looking forward to it anxious to hear it anxious to hear it like he's just like <laughs> okay cool, doesn't cool. doesn't even phase him he's like this yeah. great investigator has shown up isn't yeah. that great news like <laughs> the, the icing on the cake doesn't matter like the, the yeah. person is what and so I, I'm hoping that a lot of people treated uh, Wendy Carlos like that yeah. so it's a great interview with her and the BBC from 1989 which I'll link to here Mm, cool. as well and her actual web page is up uh there's a there she gets lampooned in this adult swim parody called live at the necropolis lords of synths wow. and there's like three synth lords that are there to uh to send synth music to Halley's comet to welcome the coming of the new age of aquarius and uh so there's like a, a sort of a yanni type of character and then there's like a <laughs> uh, uh an italian uh beat you know, disco guy kind of yeah, thing. Yeah. And then there's a, a one called uh, Carl Wendos. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> right. And uh, I hope she found it funny because it's, it's, yeah. it's pretty good. But anyway, awesome. yeah. yeah, she's, she's to say it, she seems interesting is like an understatement of the decade. Yeah. No kidding. <laughs> well, uh, uh, digging a little deeper. Well worth, you could do a whole podcast up. just about her. Just about that. Uh, yeah, I bet. Yeah. For sure. Awesome. So we get the concept art credits here for Sid Mead, John Mobius, Giraud, and Peter Lloyd. I'm pretty sure most people have heard of Sid Mead, the renowned late futurist that did design work for Blade Runner and Tron and so many yeah. others. And, of course, the wildly prolific John Mobius, Giraud, doing concepts for Alien Tron, the fifth element in the abyss. His uh, did a lot Azrak, of work in um, uh, uh, Heavy metal as well. I think a lot of his yeah. art was in there too. Like that was for sort sure. of the, the when you're flipping through a heavy metal magazine, a lot of what you were seeing was his. Yeah, yeah, and he was like that guy. Like uh, who's the guy that did Grew? Grew the, Gru oh, the yeah, Barbarian. Yeah. Um, Aragoni, uh, Sergio Aragonis. Mm -hmm. He was one of those guys that could just bang out a sketch in thirty seconds yeah. at a con for you. And he would do that all day. And it was the same with Mobius. Yeah. He just like scribbledy scribble scribble. And you're like, oh, that's a cosmonaut riding a slug whale <laughs> Pegasus. Yeah, you know, exactly. like you know, like yeah, fully formed right off fully the end of his pencil. Right off the end of his pencil. Yeah. Yeah. So he was very, very, um, very prolific. And he did a lot of uh, his Azrak and Airtight Garage comics were wildly popular in Europe. And then he did some design work for Jodorowsky's Dune that mm. never got released. But that wow. uh, he's he's in that that uh, that documentary, which so I highly the, these recommend. were concept and art design. 
based on the story like from the the, the script that they've been given the screenplay i think so yeah that. like he did the uh f- like sid mead did a lot of the vehicles and, sure um you could Mobius see that did. i mean you know you, you you glue two uh two light cycles together and you've got a spinner sure right, right. <laughs> yeah you, you stick a you stick a really beat up police car between two light cycles and you're looking at a spinner yeah <laughs> there it yeah. is yeah exactly definitely that the language of the visual uh story that they are telling I, I i would love to have been some kind of fly on the wall to see you know how between the three of them they managed to come up with something that looked like the same universe well yeah like them and all the production companies because they use three different computer production companies triple i magi synthvision and uh uh, robert abel and associates so there's actually four of them and they had to work together with hot rod computers of their own making (laughs) they did not all buy from the same store no because nobody made anything that did that yet yeah so there are all these different different fragile computers that they uh they had to create a film together and the art direction like my my hats are off to all of the art directors of this film because coming from so many different sources and using so many different techniques they managed to create a film that looks like it was created by one production house mm-hmm. it's yeah. all cohesive it all works together it all hangs together even though so many different people worked on it in highly experimental ways so mm-hmm. and and so so rarely could they see what the other people were doing i mean you, yeah. you talked before about the the storyboarding and and how how uh strong that would have had to have been in mm. order for anybody to arrive at even close to the same totally the same vision at the end that they weren't all like you did what yeah you know totally or, new storyboards they were like storyboards that not only had the camera angle but they also had left right top and bottom yeah to like show you where everything was yeah exactly amazing amazing work and and the you know all all of it uh again sort of like we talked about the previous hour with the the editing could have gone so wrong and become incoherent you know Mm -hmm. that 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 it would have just been sort of this this jumble of triangles and squares that didn't make any sense at all and that's what i sort of i love about the the uh the, the the garbage pile scene you know, the mm-hmm. resurrection of the, of the, the recognizer. Uh, I, I, I look at that now and think, you know, for the time that must've been so hard to render all the bits and pieces that are falling off and turning and, and cascading yeah. and bouncing off each other, because it means that they had to actually figure out what the physics were for those things and which things were bouncing in which direction. And yeah, you know, there's, there's conical spheres and stuff that you're like, okay, well that needs to roll this way, but then turn you know, and yeah. that that software now that's I mean, you work with that stuff all the time, yeah. animation software, but um for for that th- it, that didn't exist yet. No. <laughs> there was no rule set. They had to figure it out. Mm-hmm. And and in some cases I'm sure there there were times where, you know, the, the classical pen and ink animators and you know and and, and pencil artists were like you know, this can be done so much easier. Why don't we just film somebody doing this and then I'll draw over top of it and it'll look great. And they're like, no, no, mm-hmm. we've got to, we've got to do it with the computer somehow. And it's like, yeah, yeah. but that's going to take so much longer. Like now we think, you know, you draw something by hand and you want to animate it. It's going to take way longer than doing it on a computer. But back then I'm sure it was exactly the opposite that they were like, well, we can do 20 frames in an hour, you know, or whatever we can do 20 frames a day maybe. And, and on, yeah. on the computers, it was like, we can do one frame every two days. Yeah. <laughs> Please don't move things a lot. 
<laughs> to, yeah. have to recalculate everything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Don't, uh, don't that, drag your feet when you're walking around here. Otherwise, you're going <laughs> to... Don't build up any static. Yeah. Nobody do anything weird. Yeah. Everybody use your wrist straps to ground okay. out properly. <laughs> pressing the render button. Everybody hold your breath. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know. See you tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, for for that for all of those visual styles to survive, you know, I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure each one of them wanted to pull further in some direction that that they couldn't quite go, you know. Yeah. And and so for them to agree on something that worked. Um, the main thing that I think about this entire team was that they must have just had such solid communication. Yeah. Yeah. You know, because the animators are talking to these technical guys that aren't animators, mm-hmm. trying to get them to make stuff. And the animator, the technical guys are like, I don't know what you're talking about, but we will try to realize yeah. what you're telling us to do. Can you put it in terms that we'll understand? And mm-hmm. the animators are like, not really. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Here's the frame uh, before it. Here's the frame I after it. Draw the middle you part. stuff. You know, like, so like <laughs> yeah. the amount of bridge building that had to go on. And then over in Taiwan, like, they made little tutorial videos, like uh, language list tutorial videos oh, wow. for the crew in Taiwan to like you know, kind of like FAQs for yeah. them, you know, like saying like, well, here, you know, this is what we'll need. And there was one guy that was just put in charge of that, of like coordinating the shipping and the scenes and the orders. And... Yeah. Wild. That's so, but, so wild. Anyway, the next guy on the list is Peter Lloyd, which a lot of people don't really, I think, know about because we all know about Mobius and, you mm-hmm. know, or, you know, most people know about Mobius and they know about Sid Mead. But Peter Lloyd is the third guy on that list. And he was all about airbrushes. Mm. Now, he was born in England in 44, but he moved to the States in 59, becoming the youngest student to graduate from the Art Center College of Design with a master's degree. Uh, he did art for National Geographic, the NFL, lots of work for Playboy and Esquire. Uh, he did a bunch of work for Disney, most notably on Tron, but then he went over to Paramount doing concept and storyboard art. And then in 93, he went over to Santa Barbara Studios and the Smithsonian Air and Space Museum to work on the 96 IMAX documentary Cosmic Voyage. But part of what Tron really wanted to get was that this, like, Peter Lloyd had this signature airbrush glow. Yeah. You know, like you talk about, like, the the sort of glints on the sides of vans from the eighties or that, that eighties look where you've got a grid and the letters, but they're all kind of neon and glowing or they've got that good drop shadows, (laughs) drop shadows, that that chrome edge to it, you know, like everything's reflective, but it's not just reflective. It's also glinting. Like you get these, you get these, uh, uh, what do you call that when the sun's shining uh, into your camera? Yeah. Yeah. Lens flares, lens flares, like that lens flare kind of stuff of uh, something reflecting off of it, but also has this ethereal, almost transparent glow to it. Like Mm -hmm. it's not just shining like neon, but it's like got this depth and feel like you can feel it, like it's wet and you can, or it's metal and you can do that. So that's part of what he was all about. Like he did some amazing album cover art, like uh, (laughs) a a famous one was like Rod Stewart's Atlantic Crossing. You have this exaggerated body parts and perspectives, dark backgrounds lots of glows and shines like his original artwork for sark is just like wild like sark's all like an almost fisheye or like, something <laughs> yeah but he's also got this like soft fisheye lens on him so he's oh, all, wow. kind of, all kind of warped and it's all done on a black background so yeah that was the the, the other thing too that and, and i'm sure this was uh this was his work was the uh so much of the 
the the the visual um, language about the character design and the set design and things for something that was filmed in black and white it it did appear to have texture and the textures that were there were were capable of giving shade in a in a world that didn't really have any you know that there were not a lot of shadows because the lighting yeah. was all sort of ambient lighting but mm-hmm. there were you know you you look at um Look at cars that are rolling around today, and the ones that draw my eye are not the shiny, sparkly ones. It's the ones with like the matte finishes on them that don't yeah. reflect stuff, because then yeah. that that matte finish shows the contour of the of the vehicle, not you know the reflection of the world around it. And uh, there was absolutely you know you look at some of the the animation that came out in the eighties and, and early nineties. Um, they were all about trying to make things shinier and more reflective and, and yeah. bouncing light all over the place. And yeah. how do we do all that? And, and for, for the work in Tron, it was muted. It, it was there, there are definitely, there's light in there, which is really hard to do mm-hmm. considering how much of it was not actually was not real at all and had no light on it. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, and, and, and to be able to get that design of here's something uh, that that looks like if you ran your hand down it, you could tell what would be slick, what would be rough, what would be smooth, what's you know as you said, what would be wet and shiny, you know those kinds of things. There was um, some variance there that would have been hard to convey from computer graphics because we didn't know how to do that yet. Textures were yeah. not a thing. We're yeah. still we're still counting polygons, yeah, right? <laughs> and vectors. <laughs> it's all just line art first. And, and yeah. to have those shadows show up, you, you need to have somebody who understood, okay, so how do you do that? Mm-hmm. We can't, we can't just film a real thing and put colors on it. Yeah. Yeah. So right. how do we make something look gigantic yeah. and have sh- shade and shadow and texture when it's none of it's real? How do we, yeah. how do we fake that when our computers can't do it? <laughs> yeah. And I'm sure he was involved a lot in the, in all the backgrounds that got mm-hmm. made. For sure. Cool. And we get the music page. You get music and sound design supervisor Michael Fremer. Uh, we get the music performed by the LA Orchestra, London Philharmonic orchestrations, and then um, you know we get conducted by Richard Bowen and Douglas Gamley and uh, Jorge Calandrelli. That it was Fremer's idea to get Wendy Carlos in to revolutionize the music and give it that electronic edge. Mm. In the in the book The Making of Tron by William Calais, Fremer talks about how he had a sixty thousand dollar budget for the soundtrack. Like that's it. Like that they were like, all. yeah, you've got a, a looping budget of five thousand dollars, like a sound effects budget of eight thousand dollars, like just ridiculously low numbers. And he yeah. was like. This cannot be done. This will not pay like, for studio time. Never no, mind. this is not. The people doing it. <laughs> Do yeah. you know what we're going to make here? So yeah, that's kind of why he went for Wendy Carlos too, because she is so she's one person. Yeah, you can hiring one person is uh, less expensive than hiring an entire orchestra. So yeah. uh, they managed to 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 save some save some money that way. But I think the end result is like they they, they got. They just really, they, it was a really good idea to get Wendy Carlos in there. <laughs> yeah. It was more than being cost conscious. I think no, they just really, no, they really for sure. it was they, a good they, idea. It was a, a gift to themselves. They probably didn't realize until after they had done it, <laughs> until mm-hmm. after, until after Wendy had been there for a week or two and they were like, okay, okay, we can do this. <laughs> we can do this. This is going to work. All right. It's going to work. We're, we're good. It's okay. <laughs> awesome. 
Uh, and we get unit production manager Ralph Sariego, first assistant director Lauren B. Salob or Salob, and second Lauren, sorry, Lauren B. Salob, and uh, second assistant director Lisa Marmon. Now Ralph Sariego did a lot of T work TV work before Tron on like Heart to Heart, mm-hmm. the 19, 1979 Amazing Spider Man. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I the, remember that. Uh, the Bionic Woman in Colombo. Now his last credit is for Tron on mm-hmm. I on IMDb, but on staffmeup.com his last credit is from 94 for season 1 of a TV show called The Right Verdict. So I'm not sure hmm. what this guy uh I, I don't even know if he's still alive. I'm not yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh Lauren B. Salab passed away just last year in 19 in 2019. He got hired by Dick Clark to work on American Bandstand at first. <laughs> and uh, from there and other musical DP shows, he went on to documentary type shows doing Jacques Cousteau and National Geographic before getting into film and TV. Tremendous amount of TV, including How the West Was Won mm. from 1979, starring Bruce Boxleitner. <laughs> and uh, a hilarious sounding detective TV show in 1976 starring Jack Palance, and it was simply called Bronk. <laughs> <laughs> B R O N K and with Jack Balance, it's like how does he how does he say the name Brock without having his his signature dramatic pause in the middle of it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The, the gaspy sort of, and his name <laughs> was Brock. Brock. <laughs> <That's> oh, <awesome. laughs> yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. So tr- no, it's like Bronk, like B O R N K. A Bronk. <laughs> yeah. The Bronx. One Bronk. Yeah, one bronc, several a, a single bronc, one bronc, <laughs> or maybe it was short for uh, bronco or something yeah. like that. I don't know. <laughs> Bronchitis. Bronchitis. <laughs> Why bron- do they call you bronc? <laughs> well, uh, I'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> Can you solve this case? I don't know. Are there stairs? <laughs> exactly. Uh, another walk up. I can't do it. <laughs> I can't do it. I can't do it. That's like four blocks away. Forget it. (laughs) He's gone. We'll never find out. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. He's fled. There's no way we'll catch him now. (laughs) I see him. But uh, he's right there. He's right there. No, no, he's gone. (laughs) He's he's gone. Let it go. Let it go, kid. We're never going to find him. We're never going to find him. We'll never catch him. You've been on the force as long as I have. (laughs) (laughs) You'll end up pace yourself. Now light the smoke. Okay. But Tron, uh, Tron's one of his few film credits. But so Lisa Marmon seems to have had a small, tidy career. Second assistant director on Xanadu and Alligator Ooh, wow. in 1980 before Tron, and then Something Wicked This Way Comes and some hey. episodes of Cheers. Something Wicked This Way Comes is another one of those that I I saw in the theater. I it scared the crap out of me. And one I of my I, favorite, I, I can barely yeah. remember why. You know, like I remember moments of it, but yeah. and, and I even read the book. And and if somebody yeah. said, "What's it about?" It was like these kids and time travel and uh it was scary yeah <laughs> but yeah death the death and the autumn people yeah. <laughs> yeah jonathan price starring is like pretty much the devil and they, they come to a small town with their circus yeah. to offer cursed gifts to everybody yeah. it's a fantastic movie and that's another uh, i gotta rewatch that, that is that is that one good. is that on the uh is that a, is anybody done a minute by minute of that no, and I'd like to because mm. I can't get enough of that one. That's awesome. Okay. It's got that great scene where he's offering Jason Robards youth, but he starts at like 30. Yeah, yeah. I remember that. And I'm seeing it as a 16-year-old, I'm like, you're st- 
starting at 30? Yeah, like, what? And he's making such a big deal about 40. He's like, 40, oh, 40, prime of a man's life. <laughs> you know, the, and 16, you know, and you're he, like, what? And I'm so like, old. how is that? That doesn't work. <laughs> 40's like 70, you know, like, so it was a fantastic scene. Anyway, great okay. movie. Yep, yep. Sure. Uh, and then now in the credits, we're starting getting into this great church organ version of the Tron theme. Mm. where we get this Tron theme kicking in, but it's all done on a church organ. And I'd love, well, not just, I mean, just an organ, I guess. It doesn't have to be a church organ, but mm. it's got that same huge cavernous, beautiful sound to it. And this might be my favorite version of the song. I really want to hear it in a in a huge church or whatever. Sure, yeah. Well, and, and again, you know, we talked about in, in previous episodes the, the idea of the sound and how claustrophobic everything was. Right. That yeah. So many of the things that the the echo and the the reverberation of the space was tiny, you know, was, yeah. was to the point of it's it's phasing back at you because it's coming back so quickly that it, you don't. It's not even really an echo because it's so small. Yeah. And uh, and then to to switch out to the this this glorious, you know, quite literally uh, cathedral style, you know, yeah. of this big pipes and the big organs and the glory and the sunrise and everything's going to be okay and mm -hmm. and that have that sound be that big that the world is bigger yeah right? and, and, and as they move into so's the scroll of the credits yeah <laughs> you know, but but it's like now the tension of the movie is gone you know we can yeah let it let it come off you that's true right yeah. what did i just watch and now it's like you know it's okay it's okay we got it. okay. everybody's fine okay. now listen to the birds it's gonna be okay <laughs> Yeah, beautiful. And here we get uh, costume credits for Eloise Jensen and Rosanna Norton. Now, Rosanna Norton's done a lot of great work. This is what I was talking about before. She was pretty young when she came on the set of Tron. Mm -hmm. She was a costume designer for Phantom of the Paradise, which is incredible if you haven't seen that movie. It's a fantastic film. You ever see Phantom of the Paradise? I have not. I'll have I to really check that out. Okay. Highly recommend. Just bonkers. A bonkers movie. Okay. Um, and then she also did Carrie and Airplane. Oh, wow. Yeah. And after after Tron, she did Inner Space, The Burbs, Airplane 2, Gremlins 2, Robocop 2, The Flintstones, Angels in the Outfield, Barbed Wire, yeah. uh, Casper, Casper, Operation Dumbo Drop, lots of great stuff. Uh, but she said that the process of printing all of Mobius's circuitry designs onto the leotards oh. in a way that it wouldn't make... like. <laughs> Look you like got to do glued it on. Yeah. Yeah, you got to do it in a way that's not going to make them all stretched and warped when they when they sure. put them on these yeah. totally form-fitting dancers outfits. Then they ended up using um hockey helmets. Yep. And she'd take them home at night and touch them up. They were going to do motorcycle helmets, but they were too big and too weird and so they did uh they did hockey helmets. They mentioned a few times that there was there's people on set touching up the costumes by straight up drawing on the actors with Sharpies. <laughs> right. Sure. Absolutely. Like, like, why not? We want high contrast. It's a white leotard. Anybody got go. a black marker, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and yet it, it, it utterly works, you know, at least as a 12 year old. And then again, in the rewatch very quickly, I forget that, yeah, you know, th these are just people wearing these big white leotards with some stuff applique onto them, you know, and a hockey helmet with some spray paint probably and and instead very quickly just yep that's their skin you know yeah that's the model that's on that person's body yep <laughs> you forget that no that was just filmed and then they added some neon later and that was it <laughs> that's all yeah. they got some colors but uh you know it, it all none of it seemed ludicrous and yet there 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 were no uniforms and yet you could tell who was had what kind of role based on how complex or intricate their costume was 
Yeah. Right. That the more layers, the more circuitry you had, uh, you know, and, and to be able to show those as, as, uh, certain kinds of outfits appearing to be aggressive and others were not Yeah, when you're using all roughly the same kinds of things, you know, yeah. it's, it's amazing. It's some inspired, uh, costume. Work oh there. yeah. It's very heady stuff. The, the, what they managed to accomplish from, from what, you know, like using these small materials. Like I remember that's the sign of a good costume director, like in, uh, Fury Road, there's a shot of a bunch of war boys mm-hmm. uh, standing on a vehicle as they're about to head out to Gastown on the Bullet Farm, and they all have their their arms up in the V8 salute. Yeah, and there's six of them, and they all look very different. Yes, but they all look exactly the same. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right, they all have the same uniform, but each of them is extremely unique. Yeah, and I'm like, their own that's that's a good costume director right there yeah. and like she got the oscar for that movie but yeah. so it's like this this the same here right like it could have been so easy to accidentally make everybody look homogenous yeah and there's so many shows that absolutely did that where they just gave up they you know they okay we're sticking everybody in uniforms right or we're putting everybody yeah. we're putting everybody in silver leotards and that's and there's it. even there's you even know, like a, a thing thematic, on your shoulder and that's all you have you and know? with this movie there's a thematic reason to do it yeah for sure. If you were like, ah, everybody has exactly the same clothes. Yeah, they should they're, they're, they're programs, right? They're programs. Yeah, and right? every, so, everybody everybody in the, uh, you know, waiting to go fight in the arena should have all looked exactly the same, right? If they had mm-hmm. all been uh, made generic, they should have looked identical, but they didn't. But and, they didn't. Uh, you know, the, the idea of we're going to create this costume that, uh, you know, has these circuits and these lines within it because we're going to do a thing with that later, you know, it must have been really sort of, that that's a, a a hat tip to the to having really looked at the screenplay and like what's going yeah. to happen because we need to yeah. figure out how to make that make any sense. Mm-hmm. It can't just do he puts his hand on her hand and then their light beams match. You know, it's like no, no. Yeah, I want I want it to breathe into them or breathe out of them. I want it to go away and yeah, you know the the uh, you know when you've got the soldiers and stuff when you've got the guards that are that are you know, hitting stuff or when they get aggressive, you don't have facial expressions, but they light up. Yeah. You know, it's, it's like lizards or something, you know, dropping, yeah. dropping their, you know, their fins come out or whatever to, to show like back off. I'm aggressive. Yeah. And, and these guys light up and, and it, uh, it works, but it, it, that's costuming. You yeah. Know? Like that's all it, it had to, it had to be there when they put it together in the first place. Yeah. They couldn't have it. They can't just add that later. It's got to make no. some sense and look like something when you do it. Yeah, yeah, front end stuff. Yeah, was sure. L- Lois Jensen was the older and more experienced costume designer. She started back in '44, mm-hmm. working on "I Love Lucy." Wow, awesome. among other shows. Uh, and when in her uh, earlier in her career, she designed a fleece overcoat that was heated electrically with batteries in some of the side pockets, <laughs> complete with a cord that could be plugged into uh, vehicles like planes or trains. Ended cool. up getting featured in a, like a fashion of the future show in Los Angeles in 1948. Sounds like she was no stranger to innovation. So yeah. I think maybe when she heard the concepts for this, she must have been like, "Yeah, sure, okay, let's do it." Yeah. You know, yeah. you want you want circuits and uh, circuitry across the jacket. Got it. Got it. <laughs> Hang on. Rip, rip, rip. Okay, here's what the circuitry looks like. <laughs> I have done it. Here's yeah. what's underneath this coat. <laughs> here's what the I'm, lining looks like to actually follow been, uh, uh, heat zones on a human. Yeah. It must have been wild to go all the way from I Love Lucy to Tron. Yeah. You yeah. Know? From black and white film back to black and white film. <laughs> hey, word, right? Full circle. They say it's in black and white? No problem. Okay. Let me get on my stuff. 
Sure. Her, one of her, she did uh, Designing Women as well. Mm. Yeah. But awesome. she passed away in 2004. She passed away. But wow. yeah, great career there. So we get, uh, and then we get the Journey credit here for their two <laughs> songs on the soundtrack. This is kind of notable for the fact that they actually use a bright green electronic green version of the logo of Journey's logo. The Journey's logo, yeah, the bright. Green. Not just it's not just the word Journey, which is no. it's a real it's a break from the rest of the credits because it got this. Yeah, they, yeah. Got, they got a big name because they got a big name. Journey in that time, like that's that's pretty much their heyday. I mean. Yeah, that was... yeah, but I don't remember them having. This is the one single representation that I remember seeing of them having a logo. Oh yeah, right, true, true. Right, it's like, did the police have a logo? No, you know, or was so, it just so many bands have a font? The police, is what I feel, they like. have. A, yeah, they have they, a they font. Got, they got a font, but that's it. Yeah. If this had just been also in like the sort of green uh, DOS kind of similar yeah, text. terminals because the all of that the whole sort of green text you know that uh, the matrix leans so heavily into right the, that's right the, the that's rain right. the reigning green text mm-hmm. uh the idea of that was uh you didn't want just a white uh text on a screen because it was really hard to read just black and white like that and was yeah far more likely to burn the screen uh sure crt monitors you hit them from behind with a with a light like that yeah um, you, you're going to burn them if you're leaving text on the screen which you know they didn't have screen savers they hadn't thought of that yet sure um, and and not enough what's going on in the screen for that to happen you know to to do it not to burn the screen so if you all you've got black and then white and so they start putting the green in there so that when you uh when the screen changed it wouldn't leave behind the phosphor uh, you know, at first it was green, and then for a while it was this amber color that was yeah, really the amber screens. For a while. I love the amber screens; they yeah, were beautiful. I love, I love the the glow of the amber, and uh, you know, I remember that with with great fondness. Sort of the yeah, yeah, the, the changes too. in time between you know, first it was everything was green. You know, first it was all white, and then it was green, and then it was orange, and then other colors started to show up. You know, yeah. and, and it was this, uh, you know. The, the, but the idea of that green on a black background, that was a computery thing. Yeah. I, I, I can't help but think that it's because, uh, you know, handheld calculators that had the, the little um, actual, actual bulbs in them. Yeah. That still had the bulbs that those were sure. first they were gr- green and then they had red for a while. That's right. So hard to do, and and then they start adding more over time, and you know slowly they added more colors. So, yeah. But but certainly it was the first. The green on black was like it's a computer thing now. Yeah, and this kind of but this logo here sort of strikes me as almost a metaphor for their inclusion in the film because their whole inclusion was like one of these things is not like the other. Mm-hmm. You know, sure. like there was the 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 movie executives were like we really need a hit record. Right, because against all odds, had come out and it was doing like, like the you know the music from that. Oh no, against all odds was later, mm-hmm. but there was this like we some gotta crossover music. somehow. We gotta we gotta well, tie it in, like with Mary Poppins and stuff like that. With Disney, you've got this like the Disney soundtrack goes. has to sell a lot. Mm-hmm. And, well, uh, and there was such a delay between the movie being in the theater. And and being available anywhere else, and especially in the case of yeah. Disney, they they were not available for home, yeah. Until the the mid to late eighties, a mm-hmm. lot of their back catalog just didn't exist on VHS. So it very true, wasn't yeah. around yet. And so the the soundtracks though they could put those out. That was okay. You know, you could yeah, you could pop sure, that out right? a week later, and and people would you know, buy the record on the way out of the movie theater. <laughs> I didn't think about that. Yeah, but they. Uh, 
but journey like i think michael fremer i think it was michael fremer who was like no 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 it doesn't we can't have journey we can't have journey songs in the film yeah that's not gonna work they're in the computer and uh and then they were like well no but we need a hit record yeah we need something and they're hot right now yeah so they're they're really so yes yes they are going to be in the film and apparently there was a lot of really heated debates sure like not just behind closed doors but like on the floor in the studio of them yelling at each other going it's not going to happen right it's like i'm your boss yes it is and uh wedge the song into the movie somehow and so that's ridiculous (laughs) and i think journey didn't really get a clear idea of what they were supposed to do because it doesn't sound like journey yeah the songs don't sound journey-ish there's nothing to show them when they were doing it i bet yeah so it's kind of this compromise that i don't think anybody was really happy with the the songs one of the songs plays in the background in flynn's arcade over the sound system in flynn's arcade right and it's perfect for that Sure. Nails it for that. That's because that's exactly what was happening. That's exactly what was happening. You'd, you'd, you'd go, then, you'd walk into any arcade, and it would be the Wizards something because they were all called yeah. the Wizards something, and uh, and there would be you know the the electric lunch music playing over top of yeah. the hum of all the different weird video games and all the cacophony that they would create. But yeah, you, you had to have some kind of rock over top of that, otherwise the noise was just impossible to listen to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We had a whole episode uh, talking about the decibel levels oh, of wow. arcades back in the day. Like, you yeah. must have needed ear protection. Yeah. They did studies, and it was like, yeah, it was really bad for people that worked there. Yeah. It was not uh, not cool. Yeah, but the cool. uh, but also, like, it was like Wendy Carlos was really angry, too, because mm-hmm. they were like, well, you're doing the soundtrack for this. And then it was like, just kidding, Journey's also doing the soundtrack for this. Yeah. And she's like, here's, do, here's all the beautiful end credits. Yeah. No. that i've made and they're like yeah sure but we're also going to put in uh, a rock song over top of it yeah <laughs> like, you know and she's what? like no i don't want you to <laughs> yeah. like i don't want pop rock involved yeah and it's like well we're oh, it's got to happen so because she would have known got... that that would have instantly dated the film too it's yeah like, you, you use a pop you use a pop artist right now that's super hot and everybody's like yeah that's cool and in five years they're gonna be like oh yeah this song well I and that's the that thing about then that's what I love so much about Wendy Carlos' score is that it is electronic and it was created in the 80s, but there's so much stuff that was electronic that was created in the 80s that sounds like like it was created in the 80s by electronic music, you know, like yeah. like the soundtrack to Lady Hawk or whatever by Vangelis. Totally. That's all like, you got the electric toms, you, you there's all these like 80s trigger audio instruments the guitars and stuff but you don't get that from tron like the the music that was done in tron even though it was created electronically in the 80s is timeless Mm -hmm. mostly because the film is so unique and uh so i can really understand people saying no journey yeah no why why are we sticking a a date on this we're putting we're we're slapping a big label on on the side of it that says what year it came out by doing i feel like i feel bad for journey because the uh they're 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 amazing they've got some killer rock anthems absolutely quintessential what are they so. doing in a in a cyberspace movie before any call anybody called oh, cyberspace yeah. oil and vinegar but <laughs> anyway so there's their credit yep and then here we get the credits proper and i i'm tapping out i think this is why <laughs> this is why people say not to do the credits there's hundreds of names here and this yeah. podcast would be seven hours long if i did that <laughs> and i'd just be regurgitating imdb pages and stuff so sure. at this point i like to just look out for names that give me a chuckle like uh MCP voice processor Champ Davenport. Yes. Champ. Or uh, set decorator Roger Shook. Yeah. Nice. Or um, assistant editor Bayless Glasscock. 
<laughs> nice. There's all these like <laughs> when I'm looking down uh, credits list, usually I just end up looking at names that I'm like, you know, Taurus McGillicuddy. Yeah, what? Exactly. You know, it's like somebody has that name. I wouldn't have thought. got that name, <laughs> and they kept it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure, but that's uh, that's about it. There was a guy, uh, Adam Liebrich Donson, who uh, hosted on an earlier minute. His dad worked in the sound department for Tron, so I'm going to try keep an eye out for Johnsons or Liebrichs, but I nice. don't think there are any. Maybe he was part of the team that uh, that worked on it, but yeah, yeah. I think there was something in there that I did see one of those, as I'd mentioned in a previous episode about you know that the, the credit just went to the studio. Yeah, you know that the company name was like yeah whatever color correction by Kodak, you know, and that's it. Yeah, <laughs> that's all you like, get. Well, that's sixty people. <laughs> yeah, it's a whole bunch of people worked on that. But yeah, uh, yeah some sometimes you get in, sometimes you don't. Yeah, I, uh, you know, I, I'm sure from from your career, there's things that you've got credits in that yeah. you know absolutely you spent a lot of time on it and you were a key player, and then there's other things you got credits in for that one week that you did that thing that one time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and I've got a couple of those too where I'm sort of. Really? I'm in. Okay, great. Thank you. I mean, I really appreciate sure. it. It's kind of weird I'm in there, though. <laughs> yeah. But okay. I, I, you say so. <laughs> I'm not going to say no. But yeah. Cool. Awesome. Well, that brings us up to the end of minute 93, though. There we go. It's over. It's over. Well, it's over. We got, I got three more minutes of credits to do yeah. with uh, our next co host, uh, Tyler, who was on the first minutes that we did. So oh, nice. I'm looking, so you, I'm looking you get forward to, to that. Bookend him. Bookend them, and I think we'll probably do just some more like, so what was Tron? Yeah, what happened so, there? So what did we'll it all see. mean, really? And pull out <laughs> some key players from the uh, from the credits, no doubt. But Beautiful. Yeah. All right. Well, looking forward to hearing that. Well, thank you so much for being a part of this, John. This has been an epic, uh, epic <laughs> session here with these long podcasts going over in great detail over this stuff. But, but it's been wonderful hearing your insight into a lot of aspects of this movie. Yeah, I was uh, very happy to be invited along for this long, strange trip. And, uh, you know, I, I think uh, we, we both come by it honestly to, uh, yeah. to to try and have conversations that are around 90 minutes long. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> I think we, 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 we set a groove for ourselves, for the two of us. Uh, yeah. A little, yeah. little too easy. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, but um, I, I really do appreciate it. And I had a lot of fun. Thank you very awesome. much for including me in this uh, project. This is an, got an epic task you've undertaken. and uh, Almost finished. Yeah, it's getting there. Yeah. <laughs> great so uh, if you want to get in touch with us check out more at tronologicallyspeaking.com or tronologicallyspeaking on twitter or email or uh, facebook tron minute by minute listeners page uh, and uh, go on over to moviesbyminutes.com to check out the long list of movies that have been done in this format and if you don't see your favorite like something wicked this way comes or brainstorm or many other films then consider doing it yourself because it's a wonderful community to be a part of and make special note to check out the star wars minute because they're the ones that started it all and then they said welcome everybody come do was, this uh, too which is wonder. the best way to do anything <laughs> absolutely yeah i agree awesome all right you want to try a little final end of line on three here well we can try it let's see all right third, third time's the charm third time's the charm <laughs> okay one Two, three, three, and end of line. line. Oh, perfect. <laughs> Great. We'll, we'll fix that in post. <laughs>